Welcome to the EcoCiv Podcast. This is Austin Roberts. At EcoCiv, we are collaborating with others from around the world who are working toward an ecological civilization. And on this podcast, we engage leading thinkers in conversations about the kinds of transformations required to create a more sustainable, peaceful, and equitable world. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help support the work that we are doing by making a donation at ecociv.org. Today, Jeremy Fackenthal talks with Karen Bigelow, who is a research analyst at the nonprofit organization Bread for the World. As you will hear in their conversation, Karen is passionate about issues relating to food justice, and she is currently looking at the ways in which climate change impacts food security and nutrition. They also talk about the importance of taking long-term approaches to food assistance, how climate change disproportionately impacts women and children, the potential role of religion in creating more sustainable and just societies, how her personal faith motivates her work, and where she sees hope for the future of food security. And now, here's Jeremy and Karen. We are with Karen Bigelow today. Karen works with Bread for the World, and Karen also joined us in Washington, D.C. this past September um, at Oyamel Restaurant for a one-day gathering on food justice. Um, so today we're going to talk about um, food justice, connections to climate change, and um, sort of the intersectionality of, of justice issues and um, climate Karen, you are in a new position with Bread for the World. Do you want to tell us what that is? Sure. It's a position that I started in January. Um, So it's still very new and we're still exploring um, the many directions we can go, but it's to work as a research analyst um, looking at climate change and its intersection with food security and just how as we continue to feel the effects um, deepen from climate change and looking at how that will interrupt food security um, in the U.S. as as well as around the world. And so that's where we're looking at, especially with how um, not just the food security, but also how nutrition will then impact the health of people. Um, You know, there are a few diseases that are pretty common um, across the country in particular, and also growing um, globally that are dependent upon nutrition. Um, And the health, you know, and keep managing those diseases um, is dependent upon nutrition, such as, um, you know, diabetes, um, high cholesterol, um, hypertension, and, you know, just blood, managing blood pressure and different um, illnesses. And so um, how will climate change then have an effect on not just food security, but also um, one's ability to stay healthy in a climate that is um, ever evolving. And, you know, we have a sense of what the science is and what the predictions are, but the science is coming in so fast um, that, you know, something from a year or two ago is kind of outdated at this point. So, and at Bread, I I like that approach. And so how you're connecting with climate change with not only food security, but also with health issues is bread's goal is to talk about food security in a way that it's not just providing a meal, but actually providing a a sustainable means of accessing food. Can you talk about some of the programs that bread does that, um, that gets at that sort of 
um, complexity? Yeah. So, and there's a reason why I'm trying to use the word food security and not hunger, because mm-hmm. the difference is that um, hunger is it's very um, instant. And I guess satisfying someone's lack of hunger, that's where we can see that being satisfied through um, programs such as food pantries and charitable giving. And those things are so important, um, but it doesn't really get to the issue of food security. And so food security is not just that people have food on the table, but that it is a balanced um, diet that someone is able to have. And it's able to um, there's really not a lot of question about where they're getting, you know, when they will get their next meal. And so it's a sense of really, um, food security really comes from someone's ability to be able to um, provide for themselves. And so being able to have jobs that have um, uh, pay that gives dignity and just being able to have um, one's ability to provide to provide food on the table. And so that's not to shame any programs or to say that the other programs that don't do that um, are not important, but it's to say that we believe in short-term emergency food assistance, but we also believe that in order to end hunger, we have to look at the long-term issues, the systemic issues as well. And so programs, um, so programs like SNAP that address the short-term are programs that we also work on. Um, and those are important, but we also believe in um, opportunities for jobs. And so um, there's really not a program for that, but we are hoping that um, in the future that there'll be, you know, opportunities for jobs to be able to be more expansive and we're able to have more opportunities like that. Um, And, you know, along with that would be job training programs, um, but then also looking at systemic issues that aren't necessarily programs, but how can we help with issues like immigration? And so when families have to live in the shadows um, and are undocumented, that causes them to not have often um, enough income to be able to put food on the table or, you know, it threatens their ability to put food on the table and just provide their other basic needs or in this um, issue of criminal justice issues. um, Often, you know, we know that for many returning citizens, when they go back into the workforce, it can be very hard to find a livable way, a job with a livable wage. And so those are the type of things that we're concerned about um, and that we want to make sure that we're addressing those issues to make sure that there is food security um, for many others. And so the exciting part is that we're still exploring and looking at well, what would that mean to look at the systemic issues and while addressing sustainability. And so that's where we're still at in, um, in this you know, new role and new opportunity to explore what direction we're going to go down. That's great. Wonderful. And Brad did a, um, I think it was a 2015 briefing paper on sort of climate change and connections to food security. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, that struck me that you all pulled out in that report was the impact in particular of climate change on women and children. Mm-hmm. Are there... Um, are there practical ways or, or things that Brett is doing to address um, that specific impact? I think part of it is that we are making an effort to really bring equity lenses to the center of our work. And so that means that not just for um, gender, but also including race and just figuring out um, 
how to best make suggestions and advocate for policy that will um, put those more vulnerable um, populations into consideration. And sometimes with policy, it can be very overarching and helping many people, but then sometimes it really doesn't help those who are most impacted by issues. And so part of it is really applying a racial equity lens as well as a um, gender lens to this. And often what um, women are impacted by, so will children. And so by being more conscious and making analysis that will specifically look at those populations. I think that's a big part of what will help um, in the future is just making sure that we're being conscious about what we're advocating for and the analysis that we do so that we're not assuming that policy that we advocate for will be um, beneficial to all, but instead making sure that we're targeting um, solutions for those populations. That's great, yeah. Part of that seems to me like, raising awareness around people who are the most vulnerable and most affected by many of these systemic issues, since that's not always at the fore of policymakers' minds when they... Yeah, and I think sometimes um, the ways that women in particular and children to an extent are impacted is just so... it's so small that people don't always think about those things, but it has a very big impact in those people's lives. And so an example would be um, in our upcoming hunger report that will be launched, there's a chapter on climate change. And so we do have a chapter that mentions how women and children are disproportionately affected in areas where drought, um, especially on the continent of Africa, where they're experiencing um, multi-year drought right now. And because often women, along with their children, are having to go to wells, for example, to go get water, um, when there is no water, that means it's taking them longer because then they have to go find new areas to go get water. And so that also then means that that's taking up time that could be used towards, um, you know, household things, but then also um, being able to take resources to the market. And so there's so many different things. And so it may seem small, something small, like being able to go get water, but it really does, it takes up time. And so it means that profitable time that they have is not being, um, uh, as widely available as it would have been in a season where water is, you know, at a, the, you know, baseline. And so that is an issue. And I think that's part of it is that, um, we need more analysis as a country, as you know, in the world in general to just really be able to think about those things that may seem small, um, but actually have real consequences for people. Yeah. Good. What are some of the tools that that can be provided to people who want to make an impact around food security? I think part of it is one, just as people try to become more educated on it um, with food security, I think a part of it is just going to different resources. Um, Bread for the World, we have a great um, 
library of resources that we have. And, you know, we don't just look at food security, but instead how food security intersects with other social justice issues. Um, and then, but there's also other organizations that have great things um, such as FRAC and um, uh, Center on Budget, on Budget and Policy. And so there's so many other organizations to go and learn from. Um, but I think part of it is just people can always visit like Bread for the World. We have um, local organizers and they do such a great job of just educating people on local issues um, in order to just kind of figure out what is that first step when it comes to um, policy and how to become an advocate. Mm -hmm. Good. And we should say bread.org. Yes. The Bread for the World website. So mm -hmm. people should certainly go check that out. Um, and Bread is also a faith-based organization. Um, I happen to know that you are a fellow American Baptist. Yes. Uh, like <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk about the role that faith plays or, or how you see that as a motivating factor in your work? Yeah, so it definitely motivates me. Um, I'm especially influenced by when I see um, scriptures in the Old Testament in particular. Um, there's always a sense of call towards justice um, and, you know, very um, directly saying, you know, feeding the poor at times. And so <laughs> right. um, I think that my faith is very much influenced by scripture and just um, a call of sense to action. And my favorite passage or one of my favorites is Amos 5. And I really appreciate that scripture because it's one where people are um, giving sacrifice and they want to... Um, uh, worship God and all that stuff. And God goes to them and he says that he rejects it. And so he gives this woe cry, as we learned about in seminary, where God pretty much um, calls out and um, uh, denies and just, you know, does not, is very unpleased with people's actions in different nations. And so when he comes to, um, Israel, they're thinking like, oh, every other, you know, nation is bad, but, you know, God is on our side and God told them like, I'm not happy with you either. And so, and it, God told them like, you know, um, or, you know, through the prophet um, said that I reject your offerings. I reject your worship because you let people, um, you let people be poor. You let people um, experience injustice. And so, to me, I just love that scripture because it's it's something that shows like in order to truly worship God, we have to pick up the cause of those who are marginalized in society, and that is a form of worship. And so, and that's not to say that music or anything else is bad and how we do it on a usual Sunday, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things where um, worship is an everyday thing that we practice. And so part of it is um, taking up the case of those who are marginalized in society. And so that's a very big part of what um, propels my sense of call to justice. And also, you know, there's so many examples in the New Testament as well. And just, um, you know, with Jesus and telling us how we treat people on earth is how we treat him. And so um, that's another example. Mm -hmm. Good. And I should mention that you were also at the Parliament of the World's Religions mm -hmm. uh, this past November. What do you, do you see religion as um, sort of fertile ground for concrete change toward justice, toward food security, um, toward a more sustainable 
earth? I do. Um, I think there's so many historical examples of when faith has not been used properly um, (laughs) or religion, but there's also so many examples of how people have used their faith as a as what propelled them towards justice. There's so many social justice issue um, leaders who were people of faith. And so to me, that's really one of the biggest opportunities we have is to really um, mobilize people of faith, of any faith, because most most faiths um, have some sense or call to justice and something that calls people to care for people who are, um, vulnerable in society. And so I think it is important that we have different faiths. And I think that um, I did research many years ago about the social capital that churches um, have. And I think this can be applied to really any community of faith is that there's social capital, which means that these communities have money, but they also have um, just the power of having people, um, but there's also just um, so much knowledge within a lot of these faith communities. And so to me, it's one of those things where it's probably one of the best places to be able to mobilize. And also, again, having a Baptist background, and um, it just makes me think of during the civil rights movement and how during that time period, um, Dr. King and many other leaders um, of his stature, they were mobilizing. A lot of their meetings were in churches. And so to me, that's a historical example of how um, communities of faith can really um, help lead this work towards justice and sustainability. And also just communities of faith often um, teach people a sense of morality. And so, um, and it's probably the most effective way because you have, you know, multiple people at one time that can hear the same sermon um, or whatever the message is that, you know, that faith represents. And so to me, um, it really helps to help people understand um, that we are called towards sustainable living. Um, And even in the Abrahamic faiths, um, we don't worship um, the elements of the earth in the same way that some other faiths do, but there's still theology, even in the Abrahamic faiths, that call to stewardship of the land. And I think if we really um, tap into that as people of faith, we'll be in a much better place. That's great. When we were together in D.C., um, Chef Jose Andres talked about this sort of special teams approach to solving particular crises. It seems like that, so the analogy comes from football, and if people listening are not uh, football fans, (laughs) this means basically bringing in different areas of specialization to focus on different issues. And it seems to me that the same thing could be applied not just to... um, food crises, but to working on interconnected issues of sustainability, climate change, and food security. So I guess the question is, would you agree with that? And how would you see either bread fitting into that sort of special teams analogy? uh, Or what are the things that are missing to help sort of move us forward in addressing the systemic and interconnected issues? I definitely think... um the sense of having teams and having people specialize in that work, I think that it just makes sense. I mean, even in the medical field, um, 
you know, most doctors have a specialization and that helps them to get deeper into that work and, you know, just better knowledge of that, you know, specialty that they have. And I think the same can be said for our different um, efforts around like food systems and sustainability. And so, I think that where we mess up is when we as organizations or just whatever type of affiliation we have to this work, um, when we try to be all things to this effort. And so I think part of what it's there to an extent, but what could be deepened is just um, working in partnership and coalition. And so for Bread for the World, we're an organization that we do advocacy. Um, I'm now at Bread for the World Institute, which is, um, we do a lot of the analysis. And so we do a lot of the research. And so to me, what we can offer is that we have um, Bread for the World Institute, we have the people in the organization who can help to do the analysis that is so crucial um, to even just understand, well, what is the problem and what can we do moving forward? But we ourselves are not people who are going to implement that. That's just not where our organization is. And so because of that, um, that's where we can complement work of others is that um, being able to do the analysis that hopefully those who are implementers can use or even and um, a lot of our recommendations may be around policy. And so for the world, um, they are the ones who do the advocacy. They go to the grassroots. They go to get people to call their members of Congress. They go and then we have our government relations team that then goes on the you know hill to advocate with people. And so to me, um, we're able to support each other. And I think that's where even um, in different coalitions that we have, that we work with, those different organizations, they definitely have um, their own specialties and they have their own networks of people. And sometimes it overlaps, but we're all able to work more. Whenever we as different entities um, come together, we're always better for it. And so I think the same can be done about sustainability because even as much analysis as we do at Birth of the World Institute, um, we still have limited capacity. And so there's people who have um, different knowledge than we do and different skill sets. And so there's always people who can take, um, who can give a different perspective to that analysis. And so I really do think there needs to be more room for, um, and what's missing and what there should be more room for is collaboration in a way that is able to kind of look at issues from a more holistic standpoint. And I think that that's really what we need. Um, and I think that's the point of having teams is that it helps to hopefully fill up the gap of what um, one organization is not able to do that another one may have specialty in that. And instead of two organizations working, you know, two different plans, it's better if they do one plan um, or, you know, 500 organizations, as long as we can all, um, you know, come together and just understand where our goals are and not get in the way of each other. Um, there's organizations that don't always have the same goals as each other, but they can complement each other. And I think that's a big part of, um, what we need moving forward is organizations. Um, and that's not just advocacy organizations, farming organizations or, you know, associations and different partners um, to come together and to kind of be experts in that area that we know and then be able to complement and share information um, in a way that is um, 
like I said, just brings a more holistic viewpoint um, from analysis to implementation. Good, good. Where do you see hope for the future in terms of um, food security? I think hope is that at this point, we're not on track towards ending hunger by 2030, unfortunately. But to me, the hope is that it's still within reach, though. Mm. Um, I, you know, God willing, I'll live a long life. <laughs> and I hope that in my lifetime, I'll be able to see an end to world hunger. And to me, that's exciting. And I know that there's things such as climate change that get in the way, but I genuinely believe that this is something that we can see happen in our lifetime. And I think with the right... Um, political wheel. This is something that will definitely happen. And it won't happen by accident, but I think it's feasible. And especially when we saw the results of the um, 2018 um, elections and just um, we're seeing that people are really getting engaged. And um, when I was working in government relations, um, for Bread for the World, I remember talking to a congressional office's um, uh, director, and the person said how um, in 2017 they had more letters in that first quarter of the year than they had the entire year in 2016. And so wow. <laughs> it just shows that people are getting civically involved. People are being mindful. And so to me, yeah. that's also a part of the hope is that people are reengaging with the political process. And I'm hoping that through that, that means that we'll eventually have the political wheel to be able to actually um, say that we as a nation and as a world as well are really, we're not just going to say we want to see an end to hunger, um, but that we're actually going to put the resources behind it in order to see an end to in, in, in order to see an end to food security, but then also doing it in a way that is socially responsible and sustainable for us to do, um, not just past 2030, but also, um, you know, in 2050 when we have to worry about um, larger populations and everything. Yeah, great. Yeah, it seems like they, one of the odd things about a seemingly intractable political situation is that it does motivate people to affect positive change and to get involved in uh, civic discussions and in politics. Great. Thanks, Karen. Um, thanks for joining us and for letting me throw some curveballs at you and, and taking them so well. Thank you. Yeah.